side. Great to see everyone here today at our Miller campus. Welcome to everyone uh, who's part of Brookside at our Correctional Center campus and checking in there. And then big welcome to everyone who's watching from anywhere else who may be watching online. And then it's so great to know that, that it won't be long before we'll be welcoming everyone joining us from our Elkhorn campus, worshiping with us there as we set to launch that in November. So super excited for that. Well, I cannot wait to get into this passage from Ephesians today, so we're going to jump right into gear as we look at that. Ephesians is all about what Jesus has done for us and what that means for who we are. And so, so if you're here today, the, the passage we're looking at this morning, it will put wind in the sails and Red Bull in the tank of everything that Paul has been talking about. Maybe you're here and you're just investigating Christianity. Today will point you in, in a direction that, that just shows you where Christianity takes you, what, what it's all about. Or maybe you've been here, and maybe this last week, it was a really hard week for you of following Jesus. You just feel spent. You feel fatigued. Today will show you what energizes us to keep persevering, to keep moving forward. It'll give us the boost that all of us sometimes need. Well, so far up to this point in Ephesians, Paul has been showing us just how great the good news of Jesus really is. Everything Jesus came to do and to offer. And so, so, Jesus, so, so Paul showed us that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And then Paul in chapter 1 starts listing off all these blessings we've been given, things like we've been chosen, we've been adopted, we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and everything else he mentions. Your identity is grounded in what Jesus has done for you. Moving into chapter 2, Paul shows us that we have been transformed by grace. And as we follow Jesus, we who were dead in our sins have been saved and raised to life, to, to new life, to true life by Jesus Christ. This isn't anything we, we, we deserve, right? We can't do anything to earn it, but God did it by his grace. And so our confidence, our assurance, we, we can have that before God because of Jesus' finished work on the cross for us. Or, or moving through that into, into the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3, Paul shows us that we have been included into this new community that Jesus is creating. This new community united under Jesus Christ that is bigger and better than any of, those, of these cultural divisions that can so easily tear us apart. So, so because of Jesus, you belong. You're included. And so when we put all of this together, just these first couple chapters we've been looking at the last few weeks, we see that our identity is grounded in Christ. We've been transformed. We have confidence. We belong. All of that is true because of what Jesus has done. And all of that means something very personal for who we are. Who am I? Right? That's the question we're asking. We see that again and again in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. And so, so if you're here today just checking Christianity out, Right? If you're investigating things, maybe, maybe out, uh, the outside looking in, th th then all of these things that Jesus offers, boy, they, I would say that, that should compel us to consider everything else Jesus said and did. Because if, if that's what he offers, then we need to take seriously everything else he's about as well. Or, or if you've been following Jesus for a while again, these truths are, are foundational. They provide shape and strength to everything that following Jesus is about. 
but, but as vitally important as all of these truths are, we, we all know that just knowing these truths isn't enough because we can know these truths and never let them shape our being, right? We can never feel them. I mean, we can know these truths enough to pass some test or an exam, but where we, where we fall short of ever letting these truths actually influence who we're becoming. And that's why this passage we're looking at today, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, is so important. Because here, Paul shows us how all of these truths should sink deeply into our hearts. We should soak in them, and they should shape who we're becoming. These verses put wind in our sails for what following Jesus really should be all about. So, So this isn't just dry religion, but this is a vibrant relationship. So in the translation of the Bible I'm using, the the word power comes up three times in this passage of Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. But Paul is helping us see what energizes the Christian life, right? If you just trace that word power in the English version, then you will seek this structure that Paul wants us to see that, 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 that empowers, that gives life to following Jesus. Paul shows us very clearly in this passage what that power is, who that power is that we should be depending on, and then how that power takes shape. By the time we're done today, you'll know who to turn to for the source of power, and then I want you to know some big ways that power actually works in you. So we don't have just access to it, but we know how it changes the way we live this next week and the week after that, and the month after that, and the year after that. So let's take a close look at our passage. I'm going to read through it for us. And as I read it, keep watch for those things you've been talking about. Keep watch for for who Paul says this power is, and then how that power, the power that energizes following Jesus, how that power takes shape. So here's Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason... Paul says, so, so because of everything we've already been reviewing, right, for this reason, everything he's been writing so far, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And so Paul is going out of his way here to, to show his physical posture of kneeling before God. Paul's not drawing attention to himself. I mean, he's in prison when he's writing this, so he's not trying to impress anybody. But Paul is just showing his, his posture of humility and absolute dependence on God. He's kneeling before the Father. And then verse 16, we get into the content of his prayer. This is where, we're, this is where we'll focus. He says, says, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In verse 20, he continues, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Well, Paul clearly identifies the, the source of our power, right? That first point we're talking about, he clearly identifies the source of our power in verse 16. 
He said, he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So, so the source of power in our lives to, to enjoy everything Jesus offers, to, to, to apply everything Jesus offers, the source of power in our lives is the Holy Spirit. Before anything else, let's, let's call a quick time out just to do some Holy Spirit 101. The Holy Spirit may be like brand new to you. like, who's that? Even if you've been in church for a while, you may be like, I don't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. So let's take this opportunity to just make sure we're on the same page with some high-level truths about who the Spirit is. So first of all, the Holy Spirit is fully God. He's the third member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so that means when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about God himself. It's a big deal, right? Second thing is the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some impersonal force. He's not some energy. You see, the Holy Spirit isn't some object that we use. He's not something that we use. He's someone we relate to as a personal being. Also a big deal as we think at a high level about who the Holy Spirit is. And then here in Ephesians 3, Paul says that this person, the Holy Spirit, he's the one who works in us and for us to help the gospel soak into our hearts and change who you're becoming. That's what the Spirit does. That, that's who he's about. That's what he's about. And what we can't miss is that this Holy Spirit is already living in every follower of Jesus Christ. He's not some upgrade. He's not some level up, right, you get at some point down the road. I mean, we saw this already in, in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul wrote then, he says, when you believed, right, when you first became a Christian, when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, when you believed, you were marked in him in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so, so the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who's the source of our power, is the same Holy Spirit who is in us because we've believed. We've we got to get that. When my boys were, were just a little bit younger than they are now, there, there would be plenty of times I'd be out buying them uh, a Christmas gift or a birthday gift or something like that. Um, and, and the things they wanted, again, just kind of one stage previously to this time, was, was something with either motorized parts or electronic parts or moving pieces, something that required a battery, right? Now they still kind of like electronics, but they just want cash and gift cards. <laughs> but so, so anyway, so I'd be out, again, a couple of years ago, not that long ago, buying them this present, trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to get them? And as I was looking at, at these electronic things or these motorized things that they wanted, there was always this one phrase on the packaging that I'd be looking for. Just to, just to help me make a decision, do I want this or not? And that phrase that I'd be looking for was batteries not included or batteries included, <laughs> right? Because I wanted to know, does, does this thing that I'm spending money on, does it already have everything that they're going to need to enjoy the toy? Or, or am I going to need something else that I'll probably forget before they can really enjoy it? Are the batteries included or not? What Paul is saying here is that the batteries are already included in the Christian life. Everything we need to fully enjoy and apply what Jesus offers 
We have the source of our power, right? The person of the Holy Spirit is in us. We don't need anything we don't already have. That's huge. I mean, we're calling this whole, this whole series, Who Am I? As you work through Ephesians. And our answer to that, or at least one big answer in Ephesians 3, Who Am I? We see that we are, as followers of Jesus, we are empowered by the Spirit. And so that means the question isn't, do we have the source of power? We do. The, the, the better question is, what source of power am I relying on? Am I relying on the Spirit, on the source of power God gives me for change? Or am I relying on myself? Am I relying on something or someone else? Am I working in line with the Spirit, or am I working against Him? We, we cannot live a vibrant Christian life, the life God designed for us to live, independently of the Holy Spirit. For true, lasting growth, we have to be dependent on Him. And there are two primary ways that, that if someone was going to ask me, to, so, so how do we even do that? <laughs> what does that look like to express dependence on the Spirit? Two primary ways I'd point anyone here today toward first. First of all, prayer, right? Where, where, where we depend on the Spirit through prayer, trusting in Him, looking to Him, interacting with Him in this conversational relationship that Jesus makes available with the Spirit, right? Where we trust Him, where we refuse to live our lives independent of Him. I mean, a few things express dependence like prayer. A second thing you can do is, is besides prayer, is where you just engage the Bible. Because you see, one of the great truths of Christianity is that the Spirit inspired this book. This book isn't just some dudes thinking, what do I want to write today? This book is the Spirit working through human authors to give us, to breathe out God's Word. And so if we're going to depend on the Spirit, then we want to look to and engage with this book the Spirit has inspired. I mean, this is why we talk all the time about this 365 Bible reading plan that we, that we put together every year for Brooksiders. It's available any Sunday at our Miller campus. You can find it online anytime, just as a, as a way to say we want people to be reading the Bible daily. And so, so here's a plan. If you're looking for a place to start, here's a place you can get started and join in with, with our Brookside Church family in doing that. So for true, lasting growth, we must be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Now, now that's really important, but it's also pretty straightforward, right? I mean, it's right there in the passage. If you've been around church for a while, you, you've heard that. It's not new news, even though it really has, it is as important as we've been talking about. But, but the, the follow-up question, the obvious question on the heels of, of the source of our powers, the Holy Spirit, is, is what does that look like, right? I mean, what does it mean that the Spirit empowers change in your life? How does the Spirit work in you and for you to change you the ways God wants to be changing you? So this is exactly what Paul keeps talking about in the rest of the passage. He shows us the difference the Spirit's power makes in your life. And one difference the Spirit makes in your life is that we change from the inside out. Again, look with me at verses 16 and 17. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that, 
underline that word or that, that phrase, circle that phrase. The, the point of the Spirit's power in your life, Paul's about to share it, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so, so what's the Spirit working toward in your life? What does the Spirit, what does this power want to see produced and changed in you? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, now a lot of you are probably saying, hey, hey, wait a second, I, I heard somewhere that when you follow Jesus, Christ already dwells in your heart. <laughs> yes, he does. But what the word for dwell that Paul is using here in the original Greek, it's actually a very specific, very strong word that he's using for the word Christ dwelling in your hearts. The, the picture Paul is giving us is that Christ sets up residence in your heart. He's settling in, right? You're under new ownership. His presence influences your life. Carrie and I, we've now been in our current house for six or seven years, and there's not one room in our house that we've not touched over the course of those six or seven years, right? So, so we've painted walls, we've taken down cabinets, we've updated bathrooms, our backyard has a shed in it now and a huge garden that Carrie put in it. I mean, if our previous owners walked through our property, our, our house now, it would look very different than when they had owned it for the 30 years they owned it. Why? Because Carrie and I moved in. We're making the house our own. It reflects us. And that's what following Jesus, that's what the power of the Spirit does in your heart. It means, means your desires, your values, your decisions over the course of time, they reflect Jesus. They reflect, they reflect new ownership, right? That, that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. For some of you here, I want this truth that, that Jesus changes us, that, that he dwells in your heart. I, mean, I want that to give you such strong hope. Because you may feel like your life is, is way too much of a fixer-upper. That, that is, it is beyond repair. But your life is never beyond the repair of Jesus. Through his spirit to, to set up residence in and renovate. When, when Chip and Joanna Gaines would walk through a fixer-upper, they saw the potential way more than they saw the problems of that house. And, and, and they were able to transform it in deep ways, to renovate it in deep ways. That is exactly what Jesus can do. He doesn't see the problems. He sees the potential. And, and through his spirit, he is divinely powerful to change you from the inside out. So have hope. For others of you listening in, I want this truth that Jesus sets up residence in your heart. I want it to get you to open up some doors in your life that have been closed. Because there's that one room in your house, there's that one room in your heart maybe that you say, that that's my room, not Jesus's. You, you want to keep what goes on in that room secret. You want to keep what goes on in that room to yourself. That, that's yours, right? He can have the rest of it, but not that one. When Jesus sets up residence in our heart, we need to give him access every room in it. Open up those spaces that you, that you want to keep secret and, and let Jesus do his renovating work in that space. 
So what difference does, does the Spirit's power make in your life? That the Spirit changes us over the course of time from the inside out. The Spirit's power also helps us in another way where we grasp the greatness of God's love for us. I, I thought about this, the wording of this point for way too long this last week, right? I, I type something in, delete it. Type something in, delete it. Nothing seemed to quite capture the point that Paul is trying to get across here in this next section. So, so I just decided to default and go straight with the words from Scripture, from, from, the, from the passage itself. So, so look with me at verse 17, the very end of it. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, even just reading this, we get the sense that Paul is struggling to find the right words to capture what he's trying to say. I mean, that's, that's why he says it's, it's wide and, and long and, and high and deep. He uses every measurement to say that's how big Christ's love is for us. He says, he says he's, he's praying that we might know this love that surpasses knowledge. I mean, how can you do that? How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? I mean, if you want the nod to Avengers Endgame, right? He's saying, I, I, I love you 3,000 that's what he's saying. I mean, after all, how do you fully talk about a love that describes Jesus leaving heaven to come for us? Hey, how do you fully describe a love where the perfect and sinless God-man comes to earth to die for sinners? Hey, how do you fully describe a love where Jesus willingly sacrifices himself in the most painful, humiliating way and offers you a gift that defies description. I mean, what Paul is doing here is, is he is showing us the unfathomable greatness of Jesus' love for you. Paul is teaching us that we can't think of, of the love of Jesus like a kiddie pool. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's refreshing. But pretty soon we get tired of it or outgrow it. That's not what the love of Jesus is like. Jesus' love isn't a kiddie pool. Right? It's more like the challenger deep in the Pacific Ocean. Right? The, the deepest known point in the ocean is what this is talking about. The, the challenger deep is basically what people call this, this hole slash drop off over by the Philippines that goes straight down seven miles from the ocean surface. Filmmaker James Cameron did a film on this in 2012. He calls it the last great frontier on earth. In this challenger deep area, there is more in that space than any one person could ever explore. You could spend a lifetime looking into the nooks and crannies of the challenger deep and never exhaust its riches, never get to the bottom of it. But, but that greatness, that, that vastness doesn't keep people away from it. It pulls them into it. I mean, that's what gets explorers excited. They're like, this is so big. This is so amazing. We want to find out everything we can about it. We can spend an eternity basking in the greatness of God's love, appreciating it, applying it, enjoying it, learning new things about it, and we will never get tired of it. That's how big and how great 
Jesus' love for us is. John Stott, a Christian leader that died just a few years ago, he puts this all together so well. He says, he says the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind. No one is outside of its reach. It's long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach to, to the most degraded sinner, whatever you've done, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. I mean, if that's how big the love of Jesus is, how can we not be drawn into it? How can we not be changed by it to, to love God supremely and to love others sacrificially? But the scary reality is that it is possible for this, for this love that we should have such a strong grasp on to slip through our fingers, for it to become just an idea to us, for us to become casual towards it. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians in the early 60s, around A.D. 61 or 62. About 30 years later, another one of Jesus' closest followers, the Apostle John, he wrote another book we have in our Bibles, the book of Revelation, the very last book in your New Testament. And, and in Revelation chapter 2, the Apostle John is writing to the same church, to the church in Ephesus, to the Ephesians, that Paul is writing the Ephesians to. It says it right there in, in my own Bible, right at the top of chapter 2, there's a section heading that says, to the church in Ephesus. And so, so John is writing to Ephesus as well, 30 years after Paul is, and, and, and he, says, he says, Ephesian church, I, I see your perseverance through suffering. I see your good deeds. That's good stuff. But then in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, there's this phrase that haunts me. Revelation 2, 4, the apostle John, writing to the Ephesians, says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. So this church that Paul is writing to says, grasp the greatness of God's love. It's wide and long and high and deep. Hang on to it, grasp it, wrestle for it. 30 years later, John says, you've forsaken the love that you had at first. Same church, a short span of time, they lost it. And so Brookside, let's do everything that we can to grasp and to proclaim how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for us. So we don't lose it, so we don't let it slip through our fingers, but we hang on to it. We let it continue to transform us deeply. The great news is the way we do that is just by flipping Revelation 2 on its head, right? That the best way to, to not forsake it is to not forget it, but to grasp God's love, to, to bask in it in all the ways Ephesians 3 is telling us to, where we remember God's love for us while we were still sinners and how that's changed our identity. We remember the cross, God's expression of love for us, and we let that propel our worship and our faithfulness. And then we remember how Christ's love, it compels us and changes us in big ways, but also in small ways. This passage is so great in Ephesians 3. Every follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit. 
Are you depending on the Spirit for power to energize your Christian life, the life God wants you to live? The Spirit empowers us to change from the inside out. Are you letting the Spirit change you from the inside out? Is Christ dwelling in your heart? Are you opening up rooms and closets to Him? And then the Spirit helps us enjoy and apply the unfathomable greatness of God's love for us in Jesus. Does Jesus' love, does it still stir your heart? Does it do anything in you as you think about it? Or has it become just an idea? Are you grasping God's love? One of those questions, I'm sure, is for every one of you here today and any, every one of you listening in. Hey, how does this passage drive us towards, towards living lives changed by Jesus? Let's not forget that these are the things Paul is praying for, for the Ephesians. And as we pray ourselves, these verses can, can shape and inform what we pray for. One of my professors in seminary, he was a guy named D.A. Carson. He was a brilliant New Testament scholar, brilliant biblical scholar, and, and I love sitting under his teaching. I mean, I still remember like 24-year-old Tim, you know, in advanced Greek grammar, Pauline studies, and just brings a smile to my face thinking about that environment and swimming in the deep end as Carson went atomic on us, right? With just this, all this knowledge that he has. And so, so he was a smart guy, so he was invited to speak at conferences, places all around the world. And, and as he was speaking, one of the questions he would often get was, was so, Dr. Carson, how can we be praying for you? And, and he learned that the best response to that was to say something like, uh, you can always pray for the basics. And, and so he would direct his requests to fall right in line with stuff we've seen from Ephesians 3. He would, say, he would say, you can pray that Christ would, would dwell in my heart more richly and that I would continue to change because of his presence in me. He would ask for prayers, right, that, that he would grow in his appreciation and application of God's great love for him. That's the sort of things that he would, he would ask for pray for. What a great way both to grow in prayer but also to apply this passage to your own life today. I mean, when we pray the prayers of Scripture like this, we know we're praying in line with God's will. God loves to grant these sorts of prayers. And there's one more thing we want to see in this passage before we're done. A great prayer like this, it deserves a great conclusion. And so God's greatness, it overwhelms Paul. It's, it's overwhelming to us if we think about everything this passage points us towards. And so in verses 20 and 21, Paul turns all of our attention away from who we need to become to who God is and what God can do. He directs our attention, again, back to the source, back to God himself. Verses 20 and 21, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. These verses have become so intensely important to us as a church family over these last few years. I mean, so many of you have joined in this. You've been asking for God to do big things in you and through you. And we hear stories often 
about how you're applying this, about how God is working, right? As you're scattered into workplaces and neighborhoods and families and, and every place we go into throughout the week. And so these verses drive us to keep depending on God for immeasurably more, right? I mean, it's the, it's the message of these verses that are behind this immeasurably more for the city campaign we're in, where we're asking God and imagining what God can do through a church as we seek to advance what he wants to do in new places. This is why we're doing a bilingual service, right? Why we're getting that started. This is why we're excited about launching the Elkhorn campus and saying, how can we get one more gospel-believing local church in the Elkhorn community to help more people find and follow Jesus? It's verses like this, that compel us to ask big things of God and to imagine big things for God and then to hang on for the ride as we see where God leads, as we faithfully follow him for his glory. Well, I want to pray this passage over us one more time today. I want us to, to, to listen to this passage being read in a posture of prayer but we're going to do something a little different. We don't often do this, but, but Paul goes out of his way to, to say that he kneels before God the Father, right? And so I want to invite, right, slash encourage anyone here today, just out of the same posture of humility and dependence, just to turn around right where you're at in your seats and to kneel before God as I pray this over us. Right? This isn't a mandate, but, but I invite you to say, sometimes it's, it's best to put our physical body in a posture where we want our heart to catch up to or that we want to reflect where our heart is at. And so, so watch out for coffee cups around you. Right? Make, make sure that if you kneel down, make sure you can get back up afterwards. <laughs> but, but just as a way for us to say, God, we, we really are dependent on you. We kneel before the Father. So let's pray, Ephesians 3. In a posture of prayer, we say, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, to, according to his great power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.